0: Thirty-six percent better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Get a one-dollar-per-month trial period at Shopify.com/work. Shopify.com/work. I hit the ball first time, and there it was in the back of the net. Motivation, yeah.
2: motivation, motivation. The three M's.
0: Perverse, in in a football field, with kids watching.
3: Ladies and gentlemen, England will be playing 4-4-2. And that, boys, is out to
1: take a penalty. Eight bloody one! i have just saying to referee's got me the sack. Thank you ever so much for that one.
2: Hello and welcome to Beyond the Touchline, episode 2, the football podcast that's not actually about football. Um, joining me on my... me, Well, I should introduce myself, David Hartrick. You may know me from such websites as In Bed with Maradona and various others. Uh, but joining me on my virtual left is Seb Patrick of Cinematic Universe, Mifflinfinity, uh, When Sapney Comes, Empire and various, Seb. How are you?
1: Uh, I'm good, thank you. Yes, I'm glad you introduced yourself this time, because I, I listened back and realised that you didn't last time.
2: Yeah, I, it's a really bad habit. I'm always doing that. Uh, joining me on my virtual right, Dennis Hurley, uh, of the Museum of Jersey's blog, blog uh, Squad Numbers blog, and without revealing sort of how much of the sausage is made, uh, happy Solly March Day, Dennis. <laughs> Many happy returns,
3: David. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a special day, Um it is. You know, and, uh, I hope everyone has enjoyed us. I don't think David
1: Martin has. No.
2: <laughs> I hope Sully March climbed down the chimney and gave you everything you asked for. <laughs> um, subject tonight is... Uh, it, it's a big subject. We've got a lot of ground to cover, but it's one that is incredibly dear to our hearts. Uh, we're talking about Gold TV, and we will go into it in a little bit, but it was a, a, a theme night on BBC Two that has, holds a, a very cherished place in all of our hearts. But because we're a podcast and because we're three men sat in a room talking to each other, we have to ask an opening question. It's the law. Um, and the opening question this week is quite simple, really. It's BBC2 are commissioning Gold TV for 2019. They're going to turn over an hour of television to you. You can do whatever you want with it. How are you going to fill it? Simple as that. Uh, Dennis, we'll start with you.
3: Um... I I have two ideas and I probably should have come up with more because on rewatching it I I had kind of forgotten that it's like so many of the the inserts were only around the 15 minute mark. But basically I have two half hour ideas and they're both related to hypotheses. Um the first one is basically just have six people, you know, it could be players, journalists, managers, whatever, with six people Six football people with brains basically who who are able to think for themselves and you ask them to change one moment in football history w- which one would it be, and what would have been the um the, the the chain reaction as a result of that so you'd have the six of those five minutes each so that's one half hour and then the other half hour would be filled with i can't think of a snappy title for it, but basically to find the best all-round footballer um, and that, that just doesn't mean like you know the, not necessarily the best player but basically that if you had a load of teams made up of 11 clones or one original and 10 clones as the case may be you know and who, who would win so you, you know you'd have 11 Johan Cruyffs, 11 Pele's, 11 Maradona's and who would actually... 11 Bobby some more Exactly, yeah. yeah. So uh, you could just run that as... It'd probably be easier to just do it with, with modern-day players and set up a big, massive game of FIFA and have boffins, as they say at the University of Loughborough or wherever, to uh, simulate all the games. Top men. But you'd intersperse it with, again, area football people giving their opinions on who might come out on top. And, uh, and we'd, we'd see who'd win
2: that's that's a decent standard to start Seb you've got an hour
1: uh, I've also uh, got two programs uh, but one of them would be 20 minutes and one of them would be 40 minutes uh, for the 20 minutes uh, I'd like to do what is essentially a, an updated version of Of one of the segments that we'll talk about later, the Crying Game, which was a a segment that talked about people's experiences of watching uh, England versus West Germany in the 1990 semi-final. I would like to do that, but for the 1996 uh, European Championship semi-final, which which Dave and I have already just discussed at length (laughs) on a podcast. Uh, But I'd like to see a program about people's experiences of that night because uh, that night was my. 1990 semi-final um, and uh, just just so you, you really can tell what era of the past I'm living in uh, the other 40 minutes would be given over to a special one-off revived episode of Fantasy Football League
2: <laughs> Well the, do you know the only thing you've got that's counting against you there Seb is they have tried to re- revive the corpse of Fantasy Football League <laughs> a couple of times and I must admit for me it's not gone particularly well. So I, I'm not sure. I think Dennis might point, just be in the trying. lead. <laughs> um, my hour is quite simple, really. As anybody who knows me will tell you, I think I enjoy football montages more than actual football. So yes, I, would, I would basically have two half-an-hour programmes, montage heaven. First, international. So every closing montage from every World Cup and European Championship, one after the other. The second half, domestic montage heaven. (laughs) I would raid the archives for montages they've used before and after FA Cup finals semi-finals when they used to have the rights to the league the league ending montage from match of the day uh, I would speak nicely to Sky and see if you could borrow one or two of theirs like the the flowers of Manchester one they did which was absolutely excellent just have an hour can, can we
1: have can we ask Sky for the uh, in my life one from mr oh, Danville, the Sean Connery
2: yeah yeah the Sean Connery one yeah that that's a superb superb montage so yeah, an hour, montage heaven. And to me, like I say, I don't I don't need actual football, just as long as you can feed me montages as long as possible. <laughs> um last week I said we had to have a winner and I think I declared a draw in the first pod, didn't I? I don't think I could I don't think I could split them.
1: You did, yeah.
2: This one, it would be terribly rude to go with myself, but I am tempted, but I'm actually gonna go with Dennis. It's the fantasy football league one that's counted against yourself. <laughs> Do you know,
1: I was choosing between a revival of Fantasy Football League and a revival of Quiz Ball, and I should have gone for
3: Quiz Ball.
2: Yeah, or or a Jussie's Giants revival, as somebody suggested
1: <laughs> to me Where are Jussie's Giants <laughs> now? Where are the Renford rejects now? That's that's going to be a future episode.
3: There's actually a very good um, <laughs> website article on that, Seb. I'm not sure if you've read it. There yeah. is, yes. yeah, Yeah, someone did. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Uh, So Dennis You have an hour on BBC 2 Enjoy yourself Go mad Don't let us down Thanks
3: Dave But I'm just concerned That when you're Adjudicating And a competitor That you'll always be Reluctant to declare Yourself the winner
2: Trust me My ego is such (laughs) That if I think I've won You will know about
1: it That's right. Thanks (laughs) I'm just worried now About Dennis Having an hour on BBC 2 And if that means We're going to get Come out you black and tans (laughs) on On the BBC again Yeah
2: How does Partridge Get away with it So, uh, on to the, the, the main subject tonight, and Goal TV.
0: Here on BBC Two now, the bank holiday evening continues with a footballing extravaganza, Goal TV. I welcome all our visitors and feel sure that we shall be seeing some fine football. football. evening's lineup begins with a tribute to the best-loved international side of all time, Brazil and their 19.
2: 19- first thing I want to say to both of you, I would have sworn, I've had a bit of a Mandela effect, I would have sworn blind this was the Sunday night and it wasn't at all, it was actually the Monday night, it was wasn't Bank it? Bank holiday Monday. Yeah. Bank holiday Monday night. I I was positive it was the Sunday night but I was completely wrong Uh, 30th of May 1994 um, Leicester have just got promoted to the Premier League via the playoff final Uh, That actually gets
1: referenced in the continuity that night
2: Yes it does because don't they pick out a Leicester fan who's been a talking head in one of the programmes Yeah Yeah. Yeah. Um, Two and a half weeks away from uh, an England free World Cup which to sort of put it in context 1978 was the last one we'd missed, 1984 was the last Euros we'd missed. So it was it was a, a little bit of a strange summer for the English part of this podcast, the Irish part of this podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, very different feeling going into it, really. Um, but, yeah, BBC Two used to do theme nights regularly, and it's at this point, as I sit here, Remembering Radio Night, TV Hell, Radio One Night, and various others. I'm going to turn it over to Seb to just explain a little bit more. Yeah, it
1: was this. It was this um, kind of phenomenon that it could only really have come at a certain point in in TV history. Um, it doesn't work now in the multi channel age because you've got so many channels and you've got channels that are dedicated to particular subject matter. So, you know, there's no point doing an evening of football-related programming when that's what Sky Sports exists for. Um, But in this period, kind of... Um, and I mean, the the first what you would term theme nights actually kind of started to pop up in the kind of early mid 80s. And um, there was a rock around the clock, a rock and roll night in the in the early 80s that I think was kind of the first proper example. But the point about it was is that they come from this period where all of a sudden you've got people. TV has been around for long enough that you've got people working in TV who are interested enough in the history of TV to start picking it apart and analysing it and digging up old programming and also, you know, making new programmes about subjects. Um, So there were various of these that happened through the kind of the 80s and 90s. You name checked it already, but the archetypal example is TV Hell. Um, an absolutely fantastic night of television um, from 1992. I think it was the August bank holiday, 92, um, with Angus Dayton and Paul Merton as the, the linking characters that just basically dredged up bad old TV. That, basically, a lot of the bad TV that you recognise people talking about now, people know of it because of TV hell, things like Minipops. Um, and if you've mm. ever seen, which I'm sure everybody has, the Attitudes Night sketch um on on the day-to-day um it's generally a gag about theme nights but really it's very specifically it it just is tv hell basically almost everything Mm -hmm. they reference in that is a reference to tv hell so in 94 you get gold tv and the beauty of of this as well is that it came at the peak of the genre because if you look a few years later they start they they're still happening but they start to tail off they get a bit shorter the channels don't really commit as much there was a fantastic red dwarf night in 1998 which as you can imagine you know i i know that kind of back to front of backs. that had special continuity that had special programs made for it um you know that one was a big deal there was a, a fairly decent doctor who one with tom baker doing links as well but after that they started to be cut in the kind of late 90s and then into the 2000s they became let's put a few programs on for maybe three four hours and call it a theme night this goal tv it starts at what is it it's half seven half um, seven yeah and it runs all the way through to whatever time it is in the morning that goal uh, finishes uh, uh 12, one. 12 yes yeah, is, is the yeah. final whistle so you know it's a full night of programs and uh it's a mixture of uh new documentaries that they've created for the night uh, a few old programs that they've dug up uh, and and kind of dusted off and uh, kind of old match footage as well, um, just all flung together for, you know, a kind of a feast of football. Um, and you've got that context as well of, you know, as, as you said about it being in the build-up to World Cup 94, but it's also, you know, it's two years after Sky, it's four years after Italia 90. Football is feeling its way still into kind of mainstream consciousness and into becoming the mainstream national pastime um, and it's what I find really interesting, and I'm sure we'll talk about this more as we go on, it's not quite there yet in 94. It's it's getting there, but it's it's still tentative at this point. Yeah, and that's I, one of the things I find really... You know, if you did Gold TV now, ignoring the multi-channel age, it would be a very different prospect in terms of how people see football and how people interact with football than it was mm. in 94.
2: Yeah, I, th- this is the thing. A lot of football on TV... And your experience of football on TV up until Goal TV was, was match highlights. That was football on TV. So the idea of having programmes built around football itself and the game itself was, it genuinely felt quite different. Um, bit of context, Dennis, did you watch this? At the time, did you record it and then dust off a VHS to watch it this time? What was your personal experience?
3: Uh, it was it was the latter. I didn't get to watch it live at the time because it was a school night for me because uh, we only have the the snooker bank holiday in May. We don't have the last um, Monday at all. We have the first Monday in May and the first Monday in June. So my father recorded it for me. The... Um, most of it was on one 3 hour tape and then goal the the 1966 film was on the other one and i ended up watching the the one with more on it more often uh, i think i only had watched goal probably once before i rewatched it for this um but i i did certainly watch the rest of it um front to back uh and it was it was kind of it was eerie watching it again and just kind of knowing what was what was going to be said um, even having not seen it with maybe twenty years, I suppose. If
1: this isn't a stupid question, what 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 was your access to it? Because obviously it's a BBC Two thing. Do you have it like kind of kind of over satellite, or what's the?
3: How did you get uh, BBC not, Two? Not satellite, but um, like in the in the eighties, people in Ireland were able to get um, BBC and ITV. Um, like there was there was a company basically completely illegally selling it um <laughs> right. they were able to access it and then kind of feed it down to people's homes um i i think bbc would have probably been available in dublin since the 70s um i suppose just proximity to the, the uk but by the 80s it had a wider reach um and uh, so yeah we, we did have the those three channels growing up and then got sky later but, um, yeah, it would have been, not everyone would have had it, but it would have been close to ubiquitous.
2: Yeah, my um, experience, I'm guessing, it, it is sort of similar to yours, in that I'm guessing you probably watched a chunk of it live and recorded it all and then watched the... Watch the tapes to death as I did. Uh, yeah, I don't it,
1: actually recall if I, I. I'm not sure if I saw any of it on the night, or or if it was just all recorded and I, and I watched it after that. that I I, know, I watched a chunk.
2: Life, I I remember watching a chunk, but I didn't watch it all. Um, but like Dennis said, it was slightly, um, yeah, slightly eerie watching it all again from start to finish, and realising somewhere deep in the recesses of my mind that I I knew exactly what somebody was going to say next. Some weird member of the public plucked as a talking head that have never been on anything before or since. And I knew exactly what they were going to say, particularly, uh, uh, we'll come to it, but particularly when we we go to the crying game. Um, Mm, Yeah there was there was a lot of sort of individual lines i remember from yeah. there
1: there are a few there are observations in again yeah we will come to them but observations in in that and in the ball is round documentary which i you know i i there, there are phrases and, and and observations that i've parroted sort of as a this is a really good point that somebody's made and you know this this has informed Uh, you know the the way I look at or or think about football Um, I had a sort of my the other thing with with, with me in this in terms of my relationship with this is we had the tapes and we had it for years and years and years and then at some point uh, probably kind of around the early 2000s the tape got lost and you know and so I always remembered having this and I remembered watching it but for many years it was only something that I remembered and wasn't able to find um and I, I remember having like discussions with people on the when saturday comes forum among other things to try and find a copy of this somewhere um and eventually i went into a situation where where a guy had had it all, across two tapes and he'd done it he'd done it he'd split it in the middle so he taped it in really high quality um b- but it meant that you know it took up two whole tapes but he even done a really good break point in the middle of it so you don't really lose anything i think he you know he'd done it during an advert um and he had no way of playing the tapes anymore. He didn't have a video player. Uh, I had a VHS to DVD converter. So the deal we struck was he would send me the tapes. I could keep the tapes so long as I sent him a DVD of it back, uh, which I duly did. And then I also uh, you know, uh, ripped that DVD onto my computer, stuck chunks of it on YouTube to write an article about it, uh, where they rest still. None of them have been taken down, which is good. Uh, touch wood. Um, so, yeah, but just, just go. you know, when, when I got those tapes and was able to sit there and go through it again, which was probably in about, maybe in about 2011, 2012, I think. Uh, you know, it was just, as you say, I, I instantly remembered so much of it. Um, I, I almost didn't need to watch it over again because I was able to recite so much
2: of it. Um, we'll start going into the specifics, and we, we're literally going to run through this programme by programme. Um, and... It, it starts with a little five-minute intro that I, I want to just say a couple of things about, really. The, the first is there is nothing... I, I don't think there's any single ident that makes me feel more nostalgic than the BBC Sport ident from the early 90s. Mm-hmm. They it, It's just that those opening notes immediately just take me back to a time and a place. But then we would we're sort of the camera pans in on a car in a driveway um, outside a little terrace house the registration plate of the car is one nil. it pans up to a, a bedroom uh, a bedroom window which is immediately sort of engulfed in floodlight we go through the window into an absolutely magnificent bit of set dressing absolutely superb I don't know about you two but I wanted that bedroom yes. when I was a kid. <laughs> I mean, it's just brilliant, isn't it? Because obviously they have to... It, the whole point of the night is that it's it's across the length and breadth of TV. But if you actually look and pause, you can pick out somebody... Whoever's done that set it is, is one of us. <laughs> it's a proper, yeah. proper football fan. There is all sorts from... Um, Little bits of merchandise across the ages, football stickers, uh, literal pages from football magazines. It's just wonderful, isn't it?
3: Yeah, the the note I've done is just that it's so lovingly put together. Like there's a lot of thought going into it. It's got one of my favorite Liverpool shirts in it. Oh yeah, like you just you see on like a soap opera or whatever, you know they they'll have to do something football related, and it'll just be so fucking lazy and cliche <laughs> but this is the exact opposite of that
2: yeah the, so the ident itself is obviously in the middle of the carpet it, it's a green carpet it's basically like a piece of astroturf and it's just the, the production value i think again to sort of go back to something we've already said already this is a product of uh, you know, way before the multi-channel age, because now they just wouldn't do this. They'd they'd put something together either on a computer or something. Let's be honest, a hell of a lot cheaper to produce, and you know, and in terms of time. So it's just, it's absolutely brilliant, and it uses for the intro that I don't actually know what version it is, but it's that jingly jangly version of the match of the day theme. Hmm. That I've never been able to actually track down. Do either of you two know what version that is?
1: No, <laughs>
3: it's um, it's a piece of music which is called Le Match de Jour, and I can't remember the name of the group that did it.
2: I might have to set um at football music on that one of my favourite Twitter accounts to see if he can dig up a decent version.
3: Yeah, uh, because because that and a good few other little pieces um from it they they featured on a cassette that I got with Total Football the following year. I think I think it was around the autumn of ninety five and it was, it was called um the best of Bendit and it was a lot of stuff from the seventies like that and that was one of the pieces yeah. on it. Um so I just can't remember the name of the uh the group who did it.
2: It's a superb little version.
3: <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
2: It's it's really good. But then so Obviously we run through the running order and rather than run you through it at this point um, we are literally going to go through it programme by programme. Some we're going to skip past, some we're going to go a little bit more in detail. And it opens with the sexiest kickoff. Brazil 1970.
0: So then, kicking the evening off, a musical tribute to Brazil 1970. Pele, Yazinho, Tostar, Rivellino, and Jerson thrilled us all on the way to winning the World Cup in Mexico.
2: Which is a complete travesty from the off because everybody knows 1982 was the sexier team. So it's onto a hiding for nothing from the off. It's, it's basically a 10 minute montage of. Brazil at the nineteen seventy World Cup, doing great things, interspersed with a bit of contextual cliched Brazilian <laughs> stock footage, um, and I, I there are bits of it I quite like, um, as as somebody you know who have already established loves a montage. But the one thing I would say is that there is a wonderful little section set to Primal Scream's "High." I think it's higher than the sun, and that really does work um but a lot of it is very on the nose to say the, the very least and it's not something i'd imagine that anybody's going to be wanting to revisit particularly quickly that moves us on to something that people will want to revisit i think and that Seb, is dear football nothing
1: tests my emotions like football Each week I confront my outrage in the form of an imagined letter to the manager, to the team, to the local paper. To George Best, even to God. In fact, I'll write to anyone who's learnt to read in the hope that they'll calm my troubled mind. Uh, so, dear football, the first. Well, I was going to say the first original bit of programming, but no, obviously Brazil, nineteen seventy, is, is newly produced for this. Uh, not least because it, you can tell because it got problem Scream on it. Uh, but no, the, yeah, the first kind of original documentary uh, of the night, uh, and it's a Scottish journalist called Stuart Cosgrove uh, links it together, and the premise is that it's about football fans writing imaginary letters to people or. Or objects, or other mis- miscellaneous things within football, um, usually venting their frustrations. Um, and and it's a what I find interesting about this one is that it it feel it gets made to feel unnecessary because of a later documentary that I think is essentially about the same thing which is which is fandom and and really actually I think the night as a whole is as much about being a fan of football as it is about football itself really that's that's kind of what the evening is trying to get to the nub of but there's something that comes along later in the evening that does it in a lot more detail and dear football is a succession of like little gags some of which land some of which really really don't <laughs>
2: I think it's rubbish. <laughs> I'm happy to say that from the off. There's Stuart Cosgrove. I mean, obviously got quite a storied career in in uh, TV because he went on to be head of content for Channel Four, didn't he? Um, yeah. Not long after this, actually. The 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 only point of sort of personal interest to me is <laughs> I know what you're say. <laughs> is living in well, it's living in Huddersfield and yeah. the opening vignette where he's walking around. Uh, a very ramshackle cow shed at, yeah. at, down at Leeds Road, which is, despite being a Brighton fan, you know, when when I was a Brighton fan, when I was 13 years old, funnily enough, I couldn't travel to away games. So I ended up going to see a lot of Huddersfield Town games at Leeds Road. And the um, the crane shot of him walking um, up the back terrace and then looking out over the new stadium is great. But then you've got other stuff like that Dear Banana it's mm. just, it's. I, I just don't think it lands. And the the Cantonar bit is, yeah, uh, is cringy. It's. I think the problem is as well. It's just such a, such a dated concept. Because I mean, if you did it now, you'd have to call it dear gmail dot com for a start. <laughs> so the idea of these sort of romanticising these letters is quite quite an odd one. Mm. But I I just don't think it works. There's such a massive variance in in quality. It doesn't, You. I mean, when you say some of them land and some of them don't, I mean, when they don't, they are, you just, I, I was sat there re-watching it. I remember watching this at the time and not really sort of understanding it, thinking, well, it's, you know, it's gone, gone a bit over my head. Can we just have Brazil 1970 again, please? But watching it again now through grown-up eyes, I just don't think it's very good. Dennis, can you make any sort of case for this? Am I being too harsh?
3: Uh, the sole sort of extent of my notes for this is that the best thing about that little clip that Seb put together was the the BBC World Cup promo was the the best part of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that pops up a couple of times through the night. Yeah, one of
1: my favourite things about the yeah, entire it's night. brilliant.
3: Uh, but the the thing itself is imminently forgettable. I I I would like to pick up uh, two things that I that I
1: like from it. Although one of the things that I like from it. Um, still hasn't dated very well because it's indicative of what I think is the biggest problem with it, which isn't just that a lot of the jokes don't land or that it's randomly got footage of somebody's wedding speech where, where the father of the bride decides to oh play the match. God, with that was oh.
3: terrible. Who even is that? But it was so bad, like the way he was waiting for a reaction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: It's like, yeah, everyone's realised what it is from the first five seconds. You don't need to get them to yeah. Um But anyway, I, mean, I don't even know why that's in there because I don't know who it is or, or what the relevance is. Um, but no, I, I think the problem throughout the whole thing is that it's very, very rooted in in old attitudes and in particular Stuart Cosgrove's old attitudes. And pretty much the entire theme of the piece. And that's why I think it's quite interesting that this comes along in, in 94 when football is reinventing itself, is that the entire theme of this piece is... Modern football is rubbish and everything that they're changing is bad and and it was better when I was younger. But one of the things that I actually like from it is indicative of that, which is Ray Davis, for some reason, singing a rewritten version of Autumn Almanac, which is one of the best kink songs anyway, but, but which has the line in it, I like my football on a Saturday. And he's taken that line and spun it into a new song about how there aren't terraces anymore.
0: I still like my football on a Saturday I go through the turnstiles with all the other fans Even though they're building all seater stadiums It's ironic that they still say they're sitting in the stands Cause the terrace is a The terraces is a The terrace is a The terrace is a Sitting
1: in the, the the other thing that I like, and it's only a really throwaway one, but it's and I think it's partly because my dad's a West Brom fan, so I empathise with this. But I like the West Brom fan and his line about when he's saying to to Neil Young that Neil Young is wrong when he says that only love can break your heart.
2: <laughs> I there's I, listen, I am being a bit harsh on it. There's one or two. Like, there's there's a great line where he's talking about the transition to the new stadium and he says something like it's it's gonna house the fantasies of goals to come and i just think that's a great line but yeah I, i've re-watched it for this and i will probably re-watch it again when i do the whole of goal tv in one night but yeah it's not it's not a great start um we move on to the first of our five minute highlight packages which was the the basically the Pushkas and the push cash into Stefano Cup final from 1960, Real Madrid v Eintracht Frankfurt. Um, it's it's a great, great little five minutes of a team who were just absolutely exceptional. And then we move into an hour of uh, programming that BBC Two were sort of dredging the archive for. Mm. The first of which, um, one of the things you two don't know about me at this point is I'm a bit of a George Best obsessive um, the world of Georgie Best, by the, the uh, you know, one of the greatest who have ever done the job, Hugh McElvenny, um is just a wonderful uh, 25 minutes to me. Today, there is no footballer with whom the anonymous mass would rather
1: identify than a slim, black haired Ulsterman named George Best. At 23, Best is accepted by worshipping fans and professional experts alike as the most lavishly gifted player in Europe if not in the world. So identifying with him requires rather a lot of imagination. His game is an amalgam of superb, almost unnatural balance, unbreakable spirit, a delicacy of touch that stays true no matter how fast he moves, limitless ingenuity and ambition, and force out of all
2: proportion to his physique. He carries onto the field a constant threat of
0: the incredible...
2: It's the definitive documentary in terms of it's the documentary that every other documentary uses footage from,
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, and you've got that uh, McAvoy's narration where it's really, really straight. It's it's quite it's slightly jarring to hear it now and to hear him talk of association football, um, mm. you know. But it's it's I I think it's wonderful. It's a real slice of time, Dennis. Am I I mean am I wrong in thinking it is pretty definitive?
3: I think for the time obviously it is absolutely yeah. It's um it's it's very enjoyable and like you say, McIlvenny gives it a, a gravitas that you know, he's yeah. he's close enough to best yeah. to kinda be able to say these things but he doesn't um he doesn't kinda pull any punches either. Um and I it's it's kind of a bit sad then the ending is a, is a bit melancholy and Matt Busby mm. saying that you know he hasn't been changed by the developments in his life and you know that you're kind of headed for a, a bit of a sad ending there I also found it um, quirky that McIlvenny r- just refers to the the national team that best played for as Ireland which um, yeah, is yeah. just obviously yeah, indicative they, of the time again no one would dream of just calling him Ireland nowadays no it's from the minute Don
2: Farden track Belfast Boys starts up and that early footage of Best, and he just, you know, apologies, Seb, the Liverpool fan, but he just looks so good in that Man United kit. You realise that we watching that in 2019, it can only really end in a pretty melancholic way. However, they chose to end the documentary really, Seb. As a Liverpool fan, but somebody (laughs) who must be able to appreciate best. It's, I personally think it's just a wonderful 25 minutes, but that's because I have quite a heavy personal investment in it. Talk me through where you are with it. Uh, Well, I will just say at this point, though, that even though I am a Liverpool fan, I I suspect I'm the
1: only one of us here who's seen George Best play.
2: I never saw him play. (laughs) I met the man. But I, ne- I never saw him play in
1: 1990. Probably two. Uh, I went to Bruce Scrubbler's testimonial, and at half time there was a like six aside game with old players and celebrities, and George Best was one of them. Uh, so I have I have watched George Best play football at Anfield. Uh, but no, I no, I you know, even as a Liverpool fan, even even with my my strong hatred of of Man United, I think there are two. Man United players um, I, I in history that I've genuinely liked and admired. Uh, one of them is Peter Schmeichel and the other one is George Best. Um, you you can't not enjoy, you know, and whatever you think about George Best and his life afterwards and anything like that, you can't not enjoy George Best, watching George Best play football. If you don't enjoy watching George Best play football, you don't enjoy football. Yeah. Um, and this documentary I found really interesting going back to it because... I definitely remember at the time, you know, the original times when I would have been watching this video. I probably skipped past this one a fair bit because I probably thought, oh, it's a bit old. I'm not that interested. It's about a Man United. I know who George Best is, but it's about a Man United player. It's from the 60s. It's a bit slow and dull. But yeah, going back to it now, it's a fantastic piece of television. Um, I find interesting the stuff that it glosses over because... It, obviously it does talk about his kind of celebrity lifestyle and you've got, got that footage in the nightclub is that's, that for me is the most enjoyable <laughs> bit of the whole thing that is fascinating that glimpse is
2: that but, the uh, champagne fountain and everything well there's,
1: the, well there's the champagne fountain stuff but actually no, no not so much that because I think that's when he's launching a boutique no there's just yes, footage right, of him yeah. just going out to a local nightclub the nightclub is yeah, run yeah. by the, the horse racing mogul yeah. um, and just, just that footage as particularly as someone who me and my wife are, are quite interested in the 60s and 60s culture and, and style and, and look and everything and, and decor. Um, so that was a was a fascinating watch. What I find interesting though is that it it, it does it, it it touches on that side of his lifestyle but at the same time it kind of shows him kind of at home with you know he him, with him still living with his landlady at this point and it what it doesn't go anywhere near is where he might have been spending his nights you know when when he goes home from the nightclub. it gives you the impression that he's you know this kind of nice quiet guy who likes to go out and kind of enjoy you know kind of people's company and that kind of thing but who then goes home in a quite virtuous way um, to you know to his his lodgings Um, and and as we know you know at, at this point that couldn't really be further from the truth so I think it's interesting that it doesn't kind of delve into that because it's not looking to be sensationalist and that's not what it's looking to do and as you say what it does that is really and I think quite bold for something of its time is that it allows itself to have that melancholy of um you know obviously now we know what what went on in George Best's life afterwards but this looks at the uncertainty it goes look you know he is an amazing player now he's on top of the world now but we don't know how long this is going to last he doesn't know how long this is going to last he doesn't know what he's going to do next and that final shot of him standing on the on the bricks you know mm. um yeah it's really really well put together piece of TV and yeah you can't not enjoy Hugh Macalvenny's narration it just it just lulls you and just draws you along it's so uh, compelling, you know.
2: Mm. Um, then we have, well, an absolute <laughs> stone cold classic 30 minutes of television, don't we? We are, of <laughs> course, talking about No Hiding Place, which is, I, I mean, it's no ex- exaggeration to say it is the episode of Whatever Happened to the Likely Lads that everybody remembers. Who
0: do you think will win the match then? I'm you! Heard what? With the news from Bulgaria. Don't tell us. Don't tell us, we want to watch you on the box tonight. You'll never last out till tonight. Let me put you out here. Don't out tell it. us. <laughs> Two nil.
1: Can I? Can I be controversial here? Hmm. Right. I love. For starters, I love this, and we'll go into more of that more in a minute, and. Again, you know, I, I, I know of this and I know of the like of whatever happened to the Likely lads and I like whatever happened to the Likely lads because of this theme night and I've seen this episode more times than I would care to count. I don't think it should be in here because it's not really about football. No. It's like the episode itself isn't even really about football. It's the one where they try to avoid the result of the football match. But if you actually watch the episode, so little of it is actually about that. It's taking up 30 minutes of a a night of special programming about football. And I I am glad it's here. I really am. I I adore this. It's probably my favourite thing that's in the whole night.
3: But I also don't think it should be Shouldn't this podcast... Be in favor of something that's not actually about football. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
1: Too It It's it's the best episode of one of the best ever British sitcoms. The thing about what happens to the Likely Lads is it's not just that it has no hiding place and then a load of mediocre episodes. There are other episodes of the show that are almost as good as this, but there are none that are as good as this. No,
2: and it. I mean, it's been. The proof of the pudding is in the fact that it's been, you know, parodied and referenced, and and, and still renamed. is to this Remade, yeah. yeah, yeah, to the to this this very day. You know, I I, I sit here as well. I'll go into the Anton Deck version from two thousand and two in a minute because I'm guessing you two might not have seen that. Oh, I, I thought I yeah, saw yeah. It at the time, yeah, yeah. Um, but Dennis, what? Do you think it stands up?
3: Uh obviously there are a lot of parts of it that would not get past the editing process nowadays in the same <laughs> yeah. way that episodes of Faulty Towers wouldn't but as a as a, a farce and a, an episode of comedy it it's outstanding it's even like Seb says having seen it so many times you still laugh and you know you still enjoy it because it's just so so um, so well crafted and and so well integrated. It's um, it really is a classic, and you know you would question its its validity in there, but you know it, it's still a nice um, still a nice inclusion.
2: Yeah, the the last two minutes are, I think, among the best two minutes in British sitcom history. Yeah, I really do. Like
3: the the way that they've earlier voiced their. Dislike for figure skating And that just seemed like yeah. a throwaway yeah. line At the time <laughs> And then they're just watching yeah. the TV Japan. And you just yeah. see them kind of leaning it's... forward Bit by bit as they realise What's happened and then As uh, yeah. as they realise what the headline that, that England effed On the, the evening newspaper yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it, it's it's I I come from exactly the same place as you do, Dennis. In that I I think it's a wonderful little time capsule that there's a lot wouldn't get you just couldn't do it now. Um, but yeah, it led me down a rabbit hole because I I went on YouTube and I did watch the Anton Deck version again. <laughs> um, I remember watching the Anton Deck version in two thousand and two, and being of a less discerning palate at the time thinking it was alright it, it, it's surprisingly fateful but god yeah it's it's it, like you realise the things that are missing are the chemistry and the timing and mm. you know like even uh, John Thompson who I'm a massive fan of even John Thompson can't save it you know he <laughs> plays the Brian Glover part but it's it, I'm with you Seb actually and I've actually got on my notes that should it be here, and I, <laughs> I, I am a bit with you, that I, particularly in the half eight slot, you know, mm. like in like, sort of prime uh, pri- the the prime hour really. Um, I, I feel like it's been
1: put there kind of for two reasons, one just as an excuse to, to dig up and put on an episode of, of something that they liked and wanted to put on um, but I I, th- I think it's kind of there for comfort as well because it's recognisable. It is a famous. You know, before this, it was a famous episode. It, it was the episode of the Likely Lads, even before this. And actually, seeing as I've just said it, I, I keep saying I am gonna. Can I just do my little quibble on this as well? Which is in the continuity and throughout, they refer to it as the Likely Lads. It's not the Likely Lads. It's whatever yeah. happened to the Likely Lads. Yeah. They are yeah, two yeah, different geez. shows. They feature the same characters, but they are different shows from different decades. <laughs> whatever yeah. happens to the Likely Likely Lads is not another series of The Likely Lads. It's a show in its own right. It's also a much better show. The original Likely Lads isn't very good. Whatever happens to The Likely Lads is large... Odd episode aside, is largely brilliant. Um, I, I, it's got one of the greatest... Just to go off on a tangent. One of the greatest first episodes of any sitcom ever. The opening episode that sets up the premise. We talk about like the construction and the farce in this one. The first episode is almost as good. The situation that it contrives to put the two of them in the situation that it does. It's it's an immense piece of TV. Um, but anyway, yeah, so um, I, I think the point is, is that this was recognisable to people. A lot of people watching The Night will already have seen it, and I think will have tuned in for that specifically. I think it's there as a way to draw people in, is why I think it's there.
2: Mm. I have a feeling, and this may be me ascribing memories to The Night, that weren't necessarily there, but I'm almost certain that was the one part of the night my mum and dad actually sat and watched with me. <laughs> um, so yeah, that probably proves it right. We then go into another five-minute um, highlight section the the most stupid, appalling, disgusting, disgraceful <laughs> exhibition <laughs> of football possibly in the history of the game, according to David Coleman. Chile Italy from Italy, one Car- of the best. <laughs> yes, yeah, Chile from Italy, 1962. But I was, uh, you know. Like, this it's quite an odd game to put in as a five-minute section because it was it was a hell of a long time ago by the time you know gold TV is on its, it's what 32 years ago mm. and it's not you know it wasn't a great game it was just a game where people kicked lumps out of each other so you sort of think they had they had the whole breadth of football up until that point to choose from and I think they they really drop the ball. I think it was I I can't I don't know why this is here other than to hear David Coleman say it's the most stupid, appalling, disgusting well, displacement. It? They've they, they,
1: they've put it in as the opposite of the beautiful game, haven't they? And yeah. I, I find that I find it incredibly enjoyable to watch. I um yeah, it's it's not one of the greatest games ever. Um, I, th- I think the others, I mean I, I don't think the Real Madrid and Frankfurt is one of the greatest games ever either, I think it's just there to show it, you know, because t- they're kind of going almost going through the decades and it kind of shows the team at the height of their power, I think as we'll come to them the other two games they pick absolutely are two of the, the greatest games ever
2: Yeah, um,
1: yeah. but yeah I, I don't think this is there to be that I think it's there to be, but then, I, but then I wonder actually if you look at some of the segments we've got and like the the football hell one coming up, I think should you not have just taken David Coleman's bit and just put that in another segment so that we could
3: see it there. Yeah that's a good idea yeah,
2: I have I have thoughts and feelings about football hell we'll get to it <laughs> um, so yeah so that, that closes out with the little um, comedy short from Tony Hancock um, with Sid James and then we go into Nick Hornby's The Ball Is Round It must have been a form of entertainment once upon a time I guess A ball, a
1: few mates, and it's time for your tea before you know it. But then something happened somewhere along the line, and all this sex and misery and fear and euphoria and mania crept in. For most of us, the importance of the game is that it's the one constant, the thing that ties adulthood to childhood. We're all the same age on planet football, and we'll never, ever grow old.
2: So, just explain a little bit about it. It's, It's... The, it's one of the longest well it is the longest original section on the night yeah. isn't it um, and it's quite a fascinating thing, I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's brilliant, but it is definitely fascinating.
1: It's definitely th- th- this and one other segment to come later on. Other bits, moments of which have I think have lingered with me the most, and that I've remembered. If when I used to talk to people about this thing called Gold TV that I used to have on video and didn't have anymore, um, you know, th- this was the thing I would refer to the most. I mean, what it really is, in a way, is it's Nick Hornby. Doing a sequel to Fever Pitch because it's it it's pretty much about the same thing that Fever Pitch is. It, it is about um, the the psychology of football fandom. It's about what football means to the people involved in it, the people who watch it, why people are football fans, what we get out of it, how we experience it. Um, it's it um it's it is narrated by Nick Hornby, and I presume he wrote the the you know the linking material that he narrates as well. I don't know how involved he is in in the putting together of the whole thing although we were talking uh, off mic before uh, about how the fact that one of the contributors uh, is a mate of his called neil cass who who is name checked quite a lot in fever pitch so um, i suspect he was quite heavily involved in putting it together and then you've got an assortment of, of contributors and, and dave i don't know if you kind of want to run through some of them or
2: well uh, to be honest with you i haven't I I got lost watching it, uh, <laughs> and let me let me explain a bit. The I don't know if you two have ever read the Soccer Tribe by Desmond Morris, which is one of the sort of key texts of football when you talk about in terms of fandom and what it means to people, etc. And when I was watching, the ball is round it felt like they were cribbing whole sections from the book. Hmm. And I sort of got... It's, it's quite a fascinating thing because Nick Hornby is obviously a fabulous writer. He's had a massive success, real breakout success with Fever Pitch. But this does... I, I don't know. It's hard to describe because if you don't know the book, you may not necessarily know what I mean. But even structurally... It feels like it's cribbing really heavily from the book, so it's it's quite. I found it quite an odd watch. <laughs> it, I I don't know. It was. It, I find it a bit strange. Um, but yeah, Dennis, what's your experience of it?
3: Uh, well, I have to admit, I haven't read the soccer tribe, but I'll I'll have to try and dig it out now. If if what you're saying is that it's it's so um,
2: it's it, it's a brilliant read, yeah. and it's. I think it was first released in the 70s. Um, And it's... I mean, it's still in print now. The last version, uh, I think, has got a foreword from Jose Mourinho and came out a couple of years ago. But it is a sort of definitive text. Yeah. And when you... I think if you go and read it now, you'll actually get quite a similar experience. So where Nick Hornby is sort of having you believe that he's sort of uncovering the layers, you know, he's peeling back the onion and he's finding all these different angles. I was sort of sitting there thinking, well, yeah, because this is all from the soccer
3: Yeah. Yeah, um, what I would have said about it was that um, it's a very kind of, when Saturday comes kind of a piece, you know, they're, they're real (laughs) fans, you know, they're, they're not kind of, they're substance rather than style, basically. Um, I, I would question the, the way at the start that he refers to Pele as our leader, unquestioningly. I think, I think Pele's kind of reputation in the quarter century since has kind of, Suffered a bit just from being everywhere and selling whatever he can.
2: Erection pills. You might as well just say it. Exactly.
3: Yeah. I. I think. I think at the time he was just held in high regard because he was a great player and FIFA were and are and always will be seen as bumbling fools and he was seen as an antidote to that. Um, but uh, like th- th- there were there were some interesting contributions. Um, at the time I didn't know who Mark e. Smith was and I'd forgotten. In the interim, mm. Mm. that it was him, so that was a kind of a jolt to to be reminded of that, uh, and then I enjoyed um, Billy Whitelaw talking about her husband, who kind of, you know, he'd treat himself to go and see a first eleven of a non-league team, like you know, he'd be going yeah. to second eleven reserves um, of places near him. Like it's, I th-
2: I think they they're the sort of golden moments in it. I think where it doesn't work is like where they're talking about, you know, is football. Art, and they they go they go into a little bit into the argument and what have you, and then mm. that's for me where it doesn't quite work. But you, what you've picked out, then it's like seeing Marquis e. Smith at any point is a joy. But seeing him pop up and here is great, and some of those little stories they're brilliant. It's when I don't know. It's when it sort of seeks to answer a bigger question that isn't necessarily being asked.
3: Yeah, you know what I mean. I, I get what you mean
1: um it, it's also though those are points where and and to kind of touch on something we talked about before when it's making itself kind of when it's trying to be about football it's not as interesting as when it's being about about football fandom, you know, I I think where it's interesting is raising that question of, well, why do we care about this so much? What does it mm. do to us? What what is it that means that we all turn into these weird people of being football fans? Um, and the, and there are moments that I really like. There are, there are, there are, as, as, as I can said before, you know, there are little observations that I've kind of taken away from it that I think are, are really nice lines. Um, our our fellow When Saturday Comes contributor, um, Harry Pearson, has, has a couple of good bits in it. A very, very young Harry Pearson. And um, there's a point where he talks about how um, when you're a kid, you you play at things. You play at being a grown-up. Um, you, know, you, you pretend to be a policeman or a, a fireman or a soldier or whatever. Um, but when you play football you are playing football. You might be pretending to be a famous footballer, but you you do actually play football. And he's like, he said he thinks it's maybe the first and possibly the only grown-up thing for some people that you ever actually do. And, I, and I've always liked that one. And there's uh, Susanna Frankel, who has actually... Actually, these days, I looked her up, and she's a, a fashion journalist. Um, and she made what what is my favourite observation in the whole thing, which is when she says the difference between football and other sports and in terms of how we relate to it. And it's, you watch, say, tennis... Um and, and most sports are about getting things right most of the time um and being perfect and they hinge on making a mistake. And football, you know when you go and sit down to watch a football match that ninety nine percent of the time they're gonna be lousy and what you're waiting for is that one moment where they do something absolutely brilliant and that's what makes it worthwhile. And I've always that, that has always kind of stuck with me, that line. And I've used that line so often to describe to people the difference between football and other sports.
2: Hmm. The other thing I think is weird on it is I think the editing is weird because, like, when they're talking about football as art, like, in that section, just randomly, it cuts to a completely routine Graham Stewart goal for Everton (laughs) where he just side-foots the ball in. I think it possibly even takes a deflection in sort of a nothing game against... I think it's Charlton. And it's like... I don't know, it just... The, uh, I feel like you, you. I'd love to get all the footage from this programme from when they made it now and I reckon you could recut it now and have something really brilliant still. I mean, you could make just, it
1: about 50% better by just cutting out the woman with the Chris Waddle poem. <laughs> yes,
2: yeah. It, 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 I don't know, it, it, it doesn't quite land for me. I, it, as I said, it's that thing of ans- asking questions that I don't think it always answers. But it is, it is interesting. It is a fascinating forty minutes, isn't it? There's, there's, it's one of the things that going back to this that I was really looking forward to watching. And even though I have issues with it, I still thoroughly enjoyed it. I mean, I don't know about you two, Revis Tinnet, but I, I still thought it was thoroughly enjoyable despite my hang-ups with it.
3: Absolutely, yeah, it, it was. And mm. I, I remember at, at the time originally. That and the beautiful frame were probably the ones I enjoyed most. So I, I was definitely mm. looking forward to seeing it again. And I think Marky e. Smith just probably summed it up best at the end where he lamented that it had become too trendy and you can multiply that ten or twenty fold from that time until now.
2: <laughs> yeah. It would be it would be interesting to do a follow up, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah. Absolutely. It it really would. Um we then move into ten minutes of what, what is titled Football Hell.
1: Rolania indeed were intellectually out-argued by a Jarrow team thrusting and bursting with aggressive Kantian positivism. And outstanding in this fine Jarrow team was my man of the match, the arch-thinker, free-scheming, scarcely ever-to-be-curved midfield connoisseur Jimmy Buzzard.
3: You've got to really just
1: take each game as it comes. I know everybody says that. And We'll just take each game as it comes take each game as it comes take each game as it comes brian what's your reaction
0: Well, i have over the moon really i'm over the moon i tell you, over the moon i'm delighted i hit the ball first time and there it was in the back of the net <laughs>
1: right. uh, do you think Jarrow will adopt a more defensive posture for the first leg of the
2: next tie in turkey i hit the ball first time and there it was in the back of the net it's just weird <laughs> and half of what they're pointing to in this sort of what Football Hell is is it's basically a 10 minute flash cut stroke montage of various mentions of football football songs there's a couple of there's there's a couple of sort of comedy sketches which are bits are ripped from so there's like a bit of Mary Whitehouse experience pops up when the football chant inventor and but half of what they're here bracketing under Football Hell is actually really good isn't yeah. it? <laughs>
1: Well, that's it's yeah, not it's, just me. It's, yeah, because it's, it, as you say, it's a mixture of, there's, there's a little bit in the middle of just showing some quite funny own goals, and there's a little montage of uh, football cliches being said by people. There's, there's a young Harry Redknapp at one point in the bit where there's lots of people saying over the moon and at the end of the day and all, and all that kind of thing. Um, but-
0: a lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend.
1: So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Yeah, what's weird is the rest of it is largely good comedy sketches about football. And yeah. what I also find weird is, if this is like with Dear Football, this is something that is kind of made to feel a bit pointless by the fact that later on, you've got a programme. Now, that programme is not without its own flaws that we'll get to, but there is a programme that is all about football on TV and on film and has lots of clips from programmes. But then this has also got clips from comedy programmes taking on football. So it's... Um, it's it's weird. It, all all of the there's various Monty Python bits, um, yeah. or you know, kind of other other stuff with with the Python team, and all of those bits, and the Mr. Chumley Warner bit, which they show the introductory bit from the Mr. Chumley Warner football sketch, and then they don't show any of the Liverpool Arsenal, yeah, bit, yeah. which is the whole joke of the sketch, yeah. which is bizarre to me. But you know, those bits could be in the beautiful frame, which comes later on. I like little bits like the the bit of Quiz Ball, um, and stuff like that and a little bit about the commentator competition but they're so short and they're not explored that they're just kind of pointless um, I also would like to know and don't know what both the first and and almost last bits are from so I mean, we I think we can talk about the first bit in a minute but there is a sketch towards the end and it really bugs me that I don't know where it's from which is the it's somebody's re- dubbed over the Liverpool players being introduced to a dignitary at a match mm. and he's asking them all trivial pursuit questions and it's quite yeah. amusing and I've always that that there's the last line about it hey, rushi doesn't know that I've always found quite funny. Did,
2: did longest
3: river in Peru yeah. yeah
1: yeah
2: it's like a footballing version of animal magic isn't yeah, it? yeah. Sort of yeah.
1: um yeah. so if, if anyone knows tell me what that's from but also it starts with well I mean again does anyone else want to describe
2: how it starts because it's it's I, I, I don't know how to describe it. It's like a series... Well, they're... I mean, am I wrong, Dennis, if I just say it's basically like a bunch of weird puppets?
3: Yeah, like, my my notes basically say, what the fuck? Because I, I, I'd <laughs> almost forgotten that bit. It's like, it, it's like the opening of a 60s show, and then it's interspersed with a phone call from these evil puppets, and you don't even know fully what they're saying at the start, except... Victory for England mm. and then it cuts back to the... Sixth- and I can't
1: tell if they're from the same thing Yeah, that's what I'm wondering as well Like,
3: um, and then it just goes to the England Euro 88 squad performing their song on Wogan um, yeah. Which
2: is brilliant and I won't have anybody say that is bad It's one of my... I mean, don't get me wrong it's brilliant for slightly cringy reasons because of the way they're dancing around but it's a great bit of footage but they're literally at one point, how it to sort of explain how it cuts, these weird puppets, which at one point there's like a fire in the background that's <laughs> never explored or explained, by the way, are like watching this on a TV. It's, it's just weird, and I don't think I will ever watch it again. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I don't think I'll ever watch it well, again. I like
3: the fact that it featured the... Um... Sports Night team tune, which was another classic. But
2: yeah, it, like football, hell can be consigned to hell for me. I don't, I don't think it works at all.
1: Um, I, I, I do like it introducing me to the, the again, like the, there's a, a Python sketch that I hadn't seen before this, which is the World Forum
0: one, yeah. where he's yeah. asking
1: the communist quiz questions. That is, I, I, what, I, what I partly like about it is that the the question that is no, yeah, true, yeah, <laughs> which is the trick question about Coventry City having never won the FA yeah, Cup. Yeah, absolutely.
2: So after the sort of four. minutes and and quite sort of hefty discussion from the ball is round we have 10 minutes of just weirdness from football hell then we have italy versus brazil from 1982 the rossi game uh 3-2 absolutely categorically one of the top 10 football matches of all time um and i can completely understand its inclusion here of all
1: of the um Old match stuff uh, included here. I enjoy this one the most aesthetically um, because even though like 1982 isn't isn't my era, you know, I was born in 82, so you know my era of football is 1990 onwards. There is just something about the combination of everything in this from uh, the kits, which are perfect. The, yeah. the brightness of the day that it takes place on, the colour of the pitch, the ball being the Adidas Tango ball, uh, the look of the goal nets, Dino Zoff in his, in his grey kit and John Motson's commentary sounding like it like it's coming from, because it's Spain isn't it, but it sounds like he's mm. coming from some far flung south down yeah. jungle, yeah. down a phone line. <laughs> down a phone line. Yeah. Every aspect of it is just aesthetically perfect. I mean, it's not perfect; it's it's flawed. That's the whole point. But it just it feels to me so viscerally what a World Cup should look and
2: feel like.
3: That's exactly what my notes were for that as well. As it's just I had written down what football should look like.
2: <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah, it is.
2: Then um, we're halfway through, so we have a, a little five-minute uh, montage of. Basically, standard images of half time people having Bovril, a half time draw, um, people stood around having their, you know, having a cup of coffee and what have you, in and amongst a sort of series of footballers in adverts, many of them that you will have seen, you know, Pat Jennings jumping around as an oil filter, (laughs) (laughs) etc. The The outlier, the one that. I don't think I've seen anywhere else is that is Kenny Dalglish being dubbed yeah. into Chinese that is quite uh <laughs> th- yeah that's quite a strange experience
1: <laughs> it's um it's one of those where I'm like D- does the footage exist of what he's actually saying before he's dubbed there or, or is the advert only ever shot for Japan
2: <laughs> yeah um But then we have a little... uh, We have a little curious ten minutes that we've already had a a couple of discussions about off-air. And... It, it was a chance on the night to vote for the greatest goal in history called, imaginatively enough, the greatest goal. It should have been called the greatest goal that we have the rights for, but that's <laughs> yeah. another story.
0: Taking part in the greatest goal couldn't be easier. To register your vote, simply call 0891 7474 followed by the number of the goal you choose. For example, if you want to vote for the first goal scored by Carlos Alberto, then telephone 0891 747401. But don't call just yet. First, sit back and watch the 20 greatest goals of all time.
2: There's a theme to a lot of the goals, isn't there? Which is if you've stalled one in from, <laughs> from yeah. 30 if yards.
0: It's a then. Yeah.
2: Um, and there's one or two that feel like real outliers. Like you've you've got the Peter Beardsley goal against Brighton, which it's it feels weird in and amongst this mm. sort of company, really. Um, and it's it's quite. I mean, if you if you the thing I thought is one of my favourite videos on YouTube. One of the videos that I come back to all the time is. The, the BBC um, before the 1986 World Cup final, Mexico, they did a, a best goals of the competition, you know, a similar thing, vote for your favourite goal. And the quality of Mexico 86 was so good that I think there's 20 goals there as well. And it's absolutely stonking. There is every type of goal in there, from, you know, Maradona's role run to volleys to team goals that 20 goals from that tournament i would argue is better than the 20 they've got here for the greatest goal really i mean
1: i i think with a few exceptions and there are exceptions i think most goal of the season competitions have have a better lineup than i think i think the issue that you've got is um as you say it's partly to do with um Goals that they they actually have a the right and b footage of and obviously you know this is from 1994 and they're trying to kind of do a spread across eras like, even then I think there's only one goal from the 90s which is Gascoigne's uh, the free, free kick, kick against
2: Arsenal
1: yeah um, which to be honest is a fantastic free kick but also the only reason I would have it there in a list is for Barry Davis's commentary because it's my favourite ever piece of commentary mm. um, I'm not sure you know I, I think I still think there are better long range free kicks um, I think. You know, but from this point onwards, pretty much from 94 onwards, um, I think you've got a combination of you've got so many more goals being visible to people because there's so much more televised football. But also, I mean, I, I do genuinely think that we are at a point where, you know, the level overall of technical skill across the breadth of the game of football, not just at the top level, is higher than it was. In the sixties and seventies and eighties and nineties, so you could put together a list of twenty goals scored in the last maybe five years, most of which are better than most of the goals scored here. Not all of them. I think there, you know, there are some. You know, there's Van Basten. There's that nilinho I've n- still never seen another curler like that Nolino one. Um, and there are a couple of others, you know, which are undisputed classics. But
2: I just think I think we're at a point where too many great goals like that are scored now. Here's a question for you then Dennis. Who would you have voted for as the greatest goal?
3: Um I think I think you would still have to give it to Maradona. Um like a, you you just what, what they've done with with the 20 goals they just said who the scorer is. They haven't said who they're playing for, who they're playing against. There's no context no. applied. You know, a goal in an ordinary league game is never going to win one of these. Um yeah and like like you both have said, the spread of quality across the 20 is is quite broad. I suppose at the time, you didn't have the access to older footage that we do nowadays where you can look up every televised goal ever. It was probably rare to see um, the goals. And like Seb says, you wouldn't have seen as many good goals. So probably in 1994, it didn't seem as um, as pronounced. um You know how how mediocre some of them were, um, but you know there definitely could have been a bit more quality control. Like the two George best entries are very ordinary by his standards. Yeah, yeah,
2: it it feels like it was put together by two blokes, one of whom was obsessed with one (laughs) hundred and one great goals, because you know you've got there's the the Liam Brady goal and both the best goals. And a, a few other, you know, the Hoddle chip against Watford that are, you know, real like 101 great goal classics, basically. So, yeah, it, it's an odd, it's an odd collection. <laughs> it's an odd collection. I think now, I've often had this discussion on another podcast. I think the things we gravitate towards now, like you say, are the things that. We haven't seen again. So, like Nalinio's yeah. curler, Van Basten's volley, you know, in a, in a major final like that, I don't think has been has been battered. Um,
1: that's that. That's why I think. I mean, for for, for me, I, I think it is. I think it is Van Basten because um, I just think yeah, you don't see another guy. But I I I think it's hard to almost objectively argue against the Maradona goal because there are sometimes other goals where players will dribble the length of the field and run through a team I remember a great George Weyer one but the Maradona one is it is still the best example of anyone doing that and that still happens much more rarely than someone mm. crashing in a 35 yarder and the context of the game in which it was in and and everything that surrounds it, I just yeah, I, th- I think that is the yeah. nobody will score a goal quite like that ever again. It's
2: it's like Dennis said, they they offer these goals up, they don't give you any context, and context is incredibly important. Uh, it, it, like I'm sorry to mention this, Seb, but <laughs> Ronaldo's overhead kick against Juventus last season was great, but Bale's was much better yeah. because it's in the final. You know, mm. it, it's uh, the context is everything to pull that off in the final with with billions of people watching. It's just incredible. So. So, yeah. So, again, it's a bit of a time capsule, isn't it? It's yeah. it, it's very it's a list of the time. But as I said, they could have just gone back to 1986 <laughs> and it would have been absolutely fine. Um Saying that, in my hour of Gold TV, if you remember that, that top 20 would definitely be part of Montage Heaven, so it's covered anyway, not an issue. <laughs>
0: uh,
2: so, yeah, so after that collection, we, <laughs> we go on to 15 minutes I fundamentally disagree with. As somebody who has been... I'm now nearing my 40th birthday and uh, I've been a striker since I was seven years old. As far as I'm concerned... <laughs> I was concerned, going to ask about this perspective. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, goalkeepers are scum and they're there to be punished. So to devote 15 minutes to him is just appalling. Uh, but Tranger, I think that's how you, how you pronounce it. <laughs> the last defender, Vladimir Nabokov.
1: Of the games I played at Cambridge, soccer has remained a windswept clearing in the middle of a rather muddled period. I was crazy about goalkeeping. In Russia and the Latin countries, that gallant art had always been surrounded with a halo of singular glamour. Aloof, solitary, impassive, the crack goalie is followed in the streets by entranced small boys. He vies with the matador and the flying ace as an object of thrilled adulation. He is the lone eagle, the man of mystery, the last defender.
2: 15 minutes looking into the world of the goalkeeper it, it, it it's again it's it's quite I find it quite an odd 15 minutes watching it back do you think that's fair comment seb um i Fundamentally disagree
1: with you uh, from a, from a complete point of philosophical difference because I'm a goalkeeper. <laughs> uh, so for starters, uh, I hate you as much as you hate me. Uh, but also, I think I think I I think the interesting thing about strikers and goalkeepers is all goalkeepers also secretly want to be strikers, but I don't think any strikers ever want to be goalkeepers. No,
2: no, um, scum, so, subhuman so, so, scum.
1: Yeah, so I so I am a goalkeeper who, when I play outfield, the only place I will play is up front, uh, because I will want to punish an opposing goalkeeper. Um, no, I, I really like this. Um, I actually think of the original documentaries done for it. It's 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 one of the more successful. I think I think I think it does what it's doing far more successfully than Deer Football does. Um, I think it's got some some little bits that maybe don't necessarily need to be in there, but I think it's nicely put together. I think it's got a nice hook to it, which is essentially goalkeepers are different. Goalkeepers are a bit weird. Um, I like the interviews that are in there. I think I think all of the the goalkeepers that they talk to uh, come across well. Um, I don't know why there's a random guy from Cambridge University in there, but you know you've got Jim Leighton, you've got a long-haired Casey Keller, mm. um, you've got uh, We've got Budgie, of course. Um, you've got Eric Thorstvedt, mm. who, for some reason, and I don't know why, is one of the earliest goalkeepers that I remember
2: being aware of. I'll tell you exactly season. why, So because oh, I. Oh, I know why. I've had um, this discussion before. It's because of that first televised,
1: that first televised Premier League game. game
2: where he dropped in. Yeah. Oh, I think it was was it Teddy Sheringham's shot that he yeah. put his hands up and spilled and it went in that's why everybody remembers eric
1: <laughs> torsfeld and also he was he would have been their keeper in the 91 cup final which was the first cup final that that i watched live on tv um but yeah so i, just, I mean it's quite slight I, I like dave Besant in it as well even though he's talking about the the wimbledon penalty save uh, but i like the fact that it contrasts you know him having that heroic moment um with him talking about his time at chelsea Uh, And you get a similar thing with Jim Layton talking about, you know, when goalkeepers get in these situations where where you're at a club and everything's going wrong and there's more scrutiny on you than than anywhere else on the pitch. And sometimes for a goalkeeper, you're just in a situation where that situation is broken and and you need to to go somewhere else. Mm. Um, So all of that. Yeah, I I mean, you know, it is a slight little 15 minute thing, but... um, I, I, I enjoy, as a, as a goalkeeper, I enjoy it. Um, I don't know where where Dennis plays, so I don't, I don't know where he falls.
3: Oh, I, I was a right back, um, except for two <laughs> seasons where a clueless manager put me left back, and I kept having to come back in on my right foot. But that's beside the point. Um, yeah, I while I was watching it, I I had kind of forgotten some of the content, and I was like, "Do they not cover the negative side of it?" Now, thinking it's a bit unbalanced otherwise, but they did, of course um it, it's funny that casey keller features and he's also the subject of the the little photo essay in the in the new edition of um when saturday comes uh, which is a, a nice parallel and there's another yeah, actually, one later yeah, yeah. uh and i just i thought it was odd that the john burridge said that the guy said to him to be a goalkeeper you have to be crackers and daft which i thought would be the same thing anyway um yeah Yeah. (laughs) but uh it 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 is good i think it could have benefited maybe from longer than it got you know and you could kind of delve a bit more into the positive and the um the negative sides of it but you know yeah there's
2: definitely there's definitely a half an hour program isn't there rather than Mm fifteen at 15 minutes you really are sort of wiping over the surface of quite a lot of it, aren't you?
3: Yeah, because it's the one position that that kind of is is uh, held for more scrutiny, so it, it could have been examined a bit more.
2: Then we've got the uh, France v Portugal from 1994, which I'm really glad is in there. It was a, a great game, but I have a little personal thing that 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 French team from 1984 is like it's one of the great forgotten teams really of history nobody really talks about them when they're talking about the great teams and they were absolutely sensational and Platini was just brilliant but I am nothing if not a camera angle nerd and I maintain that the camera angle for the free kick the first goal where it's behind the goal looking down is just superb (laughs) I just think it's great and I wish I wish we still had that camera angle in the game because that is live footage so they're not behind the free kick taker or from the angle they're literally behind the goal as he's taking it in real time and I am all for that chaps I'm all for that
1: um I I'll, I I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell you who slash uh what else is is absolutely fantastic in that uh, is is Bento the Portuguese goalkeeper? Sorry, sorry to go on about goalkeepers again, um, but basically the reason why that match is such a good match um, is because of how well he plays.
3: Mm. Yeah, because it was all one way traffic before the the Portugal equaliser. Yeah,
2: yeah, but it's also it it's one of the uh, it's one of the sort of the high profile games for late drama as well, isn't it? Yeah,
3: yeah, totally. Yeah.
2: Right. Um, then we go into the crying game, which was a bit painful for me and Sab, but utterly joyous <laughs> for you, Dennis. I would imagine. <laughs> I wasn't that bothered, really. You know, I'm I'm I'm, I'm in the school of thought that "Oh well, that's it. That's the end of the game. Be another one in four years." Sadly, that was not to be.
3: We were at uh,
2: York uh, doing bounces with John Goblin, in the little truck theatre company. So the amazing thing that night was the fact that there was anybody
0: in the theatre at all.
2: You see, what you've got to bear in mind, it was a golden period in world history. It was before Iraq invaded Kuwait and after the Berlin Wall came down. All the teams that were supposed to be in the World Cup were there. No-one had boycotted it, so it was a wonderful sort of window of peacefulness. It was the end of history. Oh, certainly. We'd have had the evening off, yeah. So we'd have paid them to go home. If there was been a handful of them, it's been known to go and give the audience some money back from the actors. They go home. I'll pay for your ticket. Because
3: a rather important football match. I I wouldn't I, I wouldn't say that. I I kind of I don't even remember that game. Like I remember a lot about the World Cup from an Ireland point of view. I don't remember the semi final, but I do remember the final. But maybe just because of the detachment, um, the the contributions aren't as memorable for me. I do like Des Lynam's intro where he says mm. half the country will be watching it, yeah. What the other half are doing. will leave up to them. Um, I've, some, of the, some of the anecdotes are mildly interesting Some are very boring Yeah um, but... yeah.
2: I, yeah one,
3: of the, one of the anecdotes Well there's a couple of the anecdotes
2: That are basically One was yeah I watched it on holiday And one was yeah, yeah I watched it at work and that's yeah. basically the whole cut and thrust of the of the anecdote. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, it's great that it opens with uh, the the opening from Des and some of the some of the Talking Heads are great. I Martin Griffiths. I wanted that. I've I've wanted that Soccer Is Life t shirt all my life. I would. Uh, it's just a superb t shirt. Um, but yeah, you know, it's it, Kevin Allen's bit is a bit uh, interesting. And I always think Kevin Allen is quite underrated.
1: Yeah, it's like when he pops up in a comic strip presents, like yeah. usually one where Keith Allen has already been very loud and obnoxious, and then Kevin Allen turns up and you're like, oh yeah, he exists as well. Yeah,
2: you know, he, he did a lot for stuff like Standing Room Only and what have you. Mm-hmm. You know, there's that that great uh, there's that great bit that I, it may be on YouTube, it may not, I don't know, but it's Kevin Allen who goes over to meet uh, Wayne Lineker as he's opened Lineker's, the first Lineker's <laughs> yeah. bar. Um, but you're, you're exactly right, Dennis. Some of them, some of the anecdotes are just... I mean, it could be, it could be the three of us sitting here, couldn't it? Just saying <laughs> what happened.
3: Yeah. Oh, I, I robbed the telly. The guy caught me and he said, oh, it's fine. And <laughs> I was touching my World Cup bottle of wine. And, yeah, we, we, we were on a campsite and we went to watch it on French TV. Yeah, and penalty is low penalty. I think that I think the
2: sort of notable part of it for me is the uh, the, the ending with REM, Everybody Hurts, and footage of of Sir Bob and then Gaza crying.
1: I, I like all of the. I, I think where it works the best is in telling the story of the game. Um, and in using music yeah. choices to yeah. reflect the emotions at each various point. Yeah, I'd, um, I'd agree the, with the, that you know the, the way it uses "Stop Your Sobbing" uh, for the linear equalizer is great. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you know that just that that swinging mood of the game. And this is the thing I think this, this is where I feel it's. I mean, I do enjoy it as a piece, and it is one of the pieces that, I, that I rem- again that I remember well from this. But I think what this has the opportunity to do, because what it's about is these were our experiences of watching this pivotal match as it went on. And I think it spends too much time with people talking about the circumstances of where and how they watched it yeah. and not then this happened and this made us feel like this. Because because when it does have people talking about that, and I think the the people who you've heard of, your uh, you Kevin Allen and your Arthur Smith, actually talk about that stuff more. They don't so much talk about, you know, oh, I happen to be here. And that's the stuff that I think really works and that the whole thing should really be, well, this is what we were feeling when this happened and then this happened and this is what it meant to the nation and that kind of thing.
2: Yeah, it's it, it's a funny little 15 minutes, you know. I, I, I,
3: it probably suffers a bit from being just four years after the fact. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. You know, that'd be like something on now about 2015 and like 2015 was yesterday, like... Yeah, yeah.
1: That is weird you you it it's presented and I think probably partly because I would have remembered watching it over and over again many years after 1990. It feels like they're talking about something from, you know, 10 15 years ago uh, as they're talking. And it's like well they're not. It's it's less than 4 years ago. They haven't even got to the next World Cup yet. Yeah. And they're talking about it. But that's why, well, you know, on on my pitch from earlier, talking about '96 now would be interesting because that's 23 years ago, not three
2: years ago. You lost, Seb. You got get over it. You lost. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's it's a funny little 15 minutes, you know. And it, I I still, I still can't excuse somebody thinking that. Oh, yeah, here's a bloke. He ended up. You never believe it. He ended up watching it in a factory. You know, it's like, (laughs) yeah, okay, fair enough. But then we we get the result of the greatest goal, which was Maradona's from 1986, I think quite rightly. Spiders. You know, uh, my personal preference is for Van Basten, but, you know, public vote, fine. We then get another play of what was was basically three quarters of the opening of the BBC credits for USA 94, Um, except it didn't have the, the... like fade effect, and obviously the opening credits when they came around didn't have Des Lynham and Jimmy Hill popping up in cowboy outfits. I
1: love that. Uh, <laughs>
2: so we've had a we've we've had a, a it's an odd little fifteen minutes. The Crying Game. Seb, set up the next fifteen minutes, and it's fifteen minutes that I think we've all got quite a lot to say about.
0: From the days of silent movies to -to up-to-date TV drama, that's the sort of thing directors think they can get away with when they ask actors to play football. And uh, who am I to disagree?
1: (laughs) The Beautiful Frame, uh, which is kind of uh, this podcast, but hosted by Claire Grogan. Um, So it is is Claire Grogan, uh, obviously famous to most people as either... Uh, from Gregory's Girl, hence why she's doing this, or as the lead singer of Altered Images, but probably better known to me as the original Kachansky from Red Dwarf.
3: And um, also an episode of Father Ted, where she plays and an episode of Father Ted. Sinead O'Connor, yes. basically. The, uh,
1: the, the only episode of Father Ted that's not quite as good as all the other episodes <laughs> of Father Ted. Um, but yeah, so it, it is basically a compilation of clips of TV shows and films about football um and this is where you know I, th- I think a lot of my knowledge of and interest in um football fiction uh, probably does come from and it, and it, it, you know cuz there is a mixture of there is a segment where you've got footballers or football related people appearing in things that aren't necessarily about football um but largely it's here is the treatment of football in fiction, at least up until nineteen ninety four, and there are there are lots of things in this that I think you would have heard of outside of it, and there are a lot of things in this that I would not know the existence of um, if if it wasn't for this.
2: Hmm. I, Dennis, there there are bits in this fifteen minutes that I've never seen anywhere else. So, for example, mm-hmm. some of the opening footage, the, the Harry the footballer from nineteen eleven, the lucky number, the card. I I've never seen those bits of footage anywhere other than than here.
3: Yeah, and I'm the same. And like, it really is an impressive trod of the archives. Again, when you consider the the lack of, you know, um, the lack of access, you know, electronically compared to nowadays. And I'm the same. Like I I've never seen or heard anything of barn kicking outside of this. Um, the same with the manager S.
1: Bone kicking, bone kicking, and the manager S are two where I really want to dig those up and watch the whole. Yeah.
2: Thing. A, bone kicking is the one I I I remember. Obviously, I remember the manager S.
3: I watched the manager S. And that, that's also featured in the current edition of When Saturday Comes. It is yeah. yes, yeah.
2: <laughs> bone kicking is the. Um, Screen one. Yeah, it was a screen one. It was was a one-hour show. And it it would have infuriated you two, as it infuriates (laughs) me (laughs) to this day, because it was about QPR, and they took the trouble to use Loftus Road and the relevant kits, but the match action... Was a it was absolutely dreadful, and B you could see repeatedly that there was nobody in the ground at all. Oh <laughs> there was God. no crowd whatsoever. So, my abiding memory is all your action shots in it. A shot from really weird angles, you know, so you can't see.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, there is that. There is the clip you get in this of her Dependly. scoring the penalty. Yeah. And the angle of the ball going into the net and the movement of the keeper. It's just so bizarre. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it just doesn't like... I mean, we are going to, on this podcast, over the course of however long we do this podcast for, we are going to talk about screen match action quite a lot mm. because, like, 95% of the time it's terrible. And I can only think of a few instances where I think it's been done really well. And one thing I will say, again, just to bring bring us back onto the topic, is the thing that um, gets done wrong more than almost anything else is goalkeepers. Because... And I understand why, which is that it's really hard to act almost but not saving a shot. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's hard to let a shot past you and not look like you've let it past you deliberately. And that's why most of the time, if you see a football match in a film or on the TV, it looks like the goalkeeper has moved out of the way and let it in deliberately because that's the only way to act it. Um and and that the, the example you get here in Born kicking is a really bad example of it, but there's some as well in like I mean I think you can forgive it in Jossie's Giants because like it, it supposed you know, it's to be crap and it's it's it is meant to be crap. Um, the thing I won't forgive with Jossie's Giants is they use a lot of clips of Jossie's Giants in this, which is fine. Uh, but they get the name of the show wrong on the captions. They put an extra E in yeah. the name Jossie yeah. uh, every time they caption it. And they, I think they use Jossie's Giants about three or four times. Well, they
2: they use uh, it early on. Rubbish, that's what we are, rubbish. Yeah. And, and they use Brian it in the Robinson. footballer
1: section. They use it for Brian Robson. Yeah. yeah. Hi, Jossie. Heard you were coming today. Good to see you, kidder. How's the horses treating you? Oh, I'm a reform man. Football's taking up all my time. How's things at Old Trafford? Hard work.
3: Same as ever just like this programme. Well, we'll be rooting for you, Brian, won't we,
0: lads?
2: Yeah. Nice to see you, lads. Right, good luck, Brian. See ya. But it, it's... The first The first thing is, like, I mean, I was a teenager when I watched this, and I definitely didn't objectify Claire Grogan at that stage in my life, honest boss. <laughs> um, but she's a, she's a great little presenter. You've got that weird cameo from Glenn Hoddle just popping for up. For no reason. Yeah, <laughs> out of the blue. And, like, Dennis said it. it's a really is quite an impressive trawl because, you know, like digging up that bit of Coronation Street with Hilda Ogden in a yeah. in a in a football kit and you know, there's there's obvious bits like the Arsenal stadium mystery that are you know, relevant touch touch points in football and film. Yeah.
1: I think it's unfair that they use in the so they have the section about you know like footballers can't act when they've got real life footballers. Things. I think it's unfair that they lump in Graham Sooness in that because that scene in Boys from the Black Stuff is a it's brilliant because it's Boys from the Black Stuff and b Graham Sooness is really good in that bit.
0: You're Graham Sooness, aren't you? Yeah. You're famous. Well, I'm a huge to meet you, you would look like me. Oh, I magnum as well. Pardon, magnum, a detective who used to be on the television, an American.
2: Oh, aye. yeah, but I, I would also say that Tommy Doherty is really good yeah. <laughs> when he's doing that bit in loving it. I think he's, <laughs> I think, I mean. Something that's sort of quite close to me and Dennis's hearts is is all in the game, and Linic acting in that. Dennis, is, I mean, it's extraordinary, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. Don't forget I, rule I, number like three: of that. score some goals, you dope. But like, I mean, how do people get that
3: wrong when they're playing themselves? Thank you very much
2: hell, oh we've cracked that too, have you? Well, let's wait and see what she brings. She will probably bring two tons of cuttlefish or something.
3: <laughs> Look, I really
1: want to make this work, you know, Gary.
2: Well, don't forget golden rule number three, then.
1: What's
2: that? Score some goals, you dope.
3: <laughs> like it, it's, it it sh- it shouldn't it shouldn't have to be such an ordeal.
1: <laughs> it yeah. There are there are there are definitely a lot of things in this, and I think that is one of them where all all I know of them are the bits I've seen from this but it's made me want to to try and see more of them uh I think I think a really good example of that as well is those glory glory days which from all of the bits of it that you see in this looks great i'd I'd really like to actually watch that in full I've never seen it,
3: it is it is actually enjoyable I saw that about twenty twenty one 21 years ago I think and uh the guy playing Danny blancheflower is actually um John Saltos, who was Frank Patcham, the U team manager in Dream Team. All <laughs> oh, right,
2: <laughs> excellent knowledge. Yeah. excellent knowledge,
3: Dennis. <laughs> and there's a little clip from
1: The Lovers, which is great. Uh, that's a, that's a oft-forgotten seventies sitcom that that holds up quite well.
2: Yeah, there's a there's a wonderful yeah. bit from Alfie's own Pat, as well. Um, that, that's <laughs> yeah. uh, you know superb. It's just, it, it, I mean, and it completely holds up like. I I would quite happily watch a beautiful frame uh over half an hour updated mm. you know with a bit of Renford rejects and everything else might bass it yeah <laughs> uh, you know and everything else I I'd be more than than happy to watch that particularly if it was presented by Claire Grogan again
3: she she earned her money to be fair because <laughs> like there's a load of different locations for probably very short little inserts yeah. between each section it's, it's nicely put together,
1: uh, I think it's one of the bits, I mean obviously in order to do all of the archive digging, and, and there has been good archive digging, um, I think it is the segment that feels like it's, it's almost had the most, maybe with the possible exception of Ball is Round, that's had the most work put into it. Um, the fact that it's structured, you know, it's got, I mean, it's it's cheesy, but it's got that section by section thing, which means, you know, the clips do flow into each other because they're all yeah. roughly on on similar topics. It does do that thing of, yeah, of, of digging up kind of interesting things, things you might want to see, things you might not have heard of. I've, I, the one I find weird that it digs up when I looked up what it was actually about um, is the, the Harry H. Corbett clip. Uh, which is from a film called, and I've uh, forgotten the title, so I'm just kidding. um Rattle of a Simple Man. Um, and that is about uh, an excessively mothered man um, who goes on a coach trip to the football with his friends um, and who sleeps with a prostitute. <laughs> while he's away, um, so it's kind of like the, that clip kind of works in the context, but it's like if you actually know what the rest of it is, and also his and, I, and his mum is Thora Heard It's Harry H Corbett and Thora Herd. Um But yeah, so there's, there's lots of like those little kind of sort of discoveries there throughout it. Obviously, if you also have, as well towards the very end, we haven't even mentioned it or touched on it is the fact that you've got ripping yarns yeah. in there. Yeah, bloody is, one. Yeah, which is just superb. Yeah.
2: Um, but yeah, it's 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 just brilliant, isn't it? And it. Like I say it just completely stands up, you know. I think
1: I could possibly do I think I think the penalty bit in the middle where they get they, they wheel out Brian Glover and a cardboard cutout of Sylvester Stallone. And that boy is out to take a penalty. Look one way, kick the
3: other. Sylvester never saw it.
1: Which is funny in itself because they obviously haven't been able to afford the rights yeah, to actually yeah. use any of Escape to victory. Yeah. Um I, yeah, I think that bit's just a, a little bit pointless. It's Obviously, it's good that they've got the cares bit in there because you have to have the cares bit in there.
3: Well, f- funnily enough, I saw it on Twitter, was it last week or the week before, completely coincidentally, and someone had just said, you know, this is the Donald Trump presidency in football form. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and that's, uh, yeah, that's very true. But the I think the last thing to add on the beautiful frame is that it's great to see a program like this on the BBC, where they've been allowed to re- properly trawl the archives. And there's, mm. you know, there's stuff that originally appeared on Channel Four. There's a lot of ITV stuff in there, um, a lot of stuff from films. It's, yeah, you know, real hats off to the people involved. Um, and yeah, completely stands up. Completely stands up. Um, goal then follows which is the the film of the, the 1966 World Cup, the official FIFA film. Now I'm a bit of a mug for an official FIFA film for the World Cup. I think it's a real shame that they're not done anymore. 2010 was the last one that was done and it was a it was a bit of a token effort. They did one in 2014 and it never saw the light of day and I believe they just haven't bothered with Russia. But you have to... They've put it on Gold TV because, obviously, it's 1966. It's England winning the World Cup. But I think it's worth just explaining a little bit about the context of Goal and how, how massive that film was. You know, like, there are better official World Cup films. Hero is, is much better. But, like, you've got to understand, everybody watched the 1966 World Cup in black and white. So mm. they got the chance to watch goal. It was it played in cinemas, and they could watch it in colour, which would have been a pretty incredible thing at the time. So it's quite it's quite an important one. Um, Nineteen fifty four was the very first, but it wasn't it wasn't done to this standard or in this uh, with this sort of aim. Um, and yeah, I. I quite like it as a bit of a time capture. i i quite but I am a sucker for such things, Dennis, you said you have notes
3: uh i do I do have a few um it's <laughs> like just given given how everything else is relatively brief this it does seem a little bit incongruous that you have an hour mm. and forty minutes planked on at the end um but uh there's no continuity announcement afterwards, so I presume that that was part of the reason just to allow uh Allow her to go home, um <laughs> and I—I I thought it was odd that the opening credits are set to the free kick, Germany's free kick that led to the equalizer. You know, it. Obviously, everyone knows how it ends, but it—you know—it—it it, it seems it just seems strange to me that Germany celebrating is the centerpiece of the start of it. Um. But uh, Brian Brian Glanville's Script is Is excellent And what I like About it is that It's quite actually Sparing In that You know there's no Match commentary Mm. And the narration Doesn't Completely Overshadow Every game You know it's Yeah Sometimes One little irritant Is that it's slightly Ahead of what's going To happen Again You don't need Spoilers or spoilers Don't matter but (laughs) There's just no need For it You know It says um some a guy scores and then it takes a good three seconds before the ball actually goes in. It's like the the famous bit that's
1: in um uh, world in motion the we want goals yeah. against Mexico they got one a beauty score by Bobby Charlton So well let us see exactly, it before you yeah. tell us that it's yeah. going yeah. And
3: I, I did I did like how he referred to um I think it was it Hungary playing in a novel one four three two style um <laughs> rather than saying a, a sweeper system. Um, and as well the, the chance The England When England were playing The, the chance In the semi-final uh, Or was it, Yeah it was a semi-final It was Oh when the whites Go marching in Which Could be Misconstrued <laughs> But for the final To be so fair hot, yeah. They changed it to When the reds Go marching in um And as well Obviously the use Of the union jack Rather than the, the St George's flag Which I think didn't really Become popularly Associated with England Until 1990 Is that right
2: Hmm. Yeah, I'd. I'd. Yeah, I'd go. I'd. I'd agree with that. It's again. It's a bit of a time capsule. It's. It's. With anything sort of FIFA produced, it's that there's sort of an a layer of gloss to it. But I really quite like the sort of the different camera angles that are used and the the different moments. You know, from the final that are caught in goal that you don't. Associate it when because you don't see them when you watch the match itself, and it's but yeah you're right it it's a whacking great slab at the end of a night that's been broken into little pieces yeah so it's it's almost like they've got to this point and gone what do we do now it's either show one of the World Cup films or Escape to Victory
3: (laughs) you know (laughs) and we can't afford Escape to Victory (laughs)
2: so I it's yeah it's it's a funny way to end then we go to the the final whistle, as you said, there's no continuity announcement. Um, it's tragically the last time we see this bit of set dressing and the idents, um, which are, I mean, again, I can't tell you how good they were. You, you could do that for something now and it would still look absolutely brilliant. Um, and over the, the sort of closing credits, we hear the... Do you, do you realise what that um, little bit of commentary is about? where it's going back to the time where they used to sort of print a square in the newspaper so that when you listen to the commentary on the radio, Bad. that's why he's oh, going, he yeah. like, moves into square seven, square six, so you could follow it. So it's quite, it's one of the sort of very earliest examples of radio commentary. So it's quite a, it's a nice way to end. Um, but I think before we, before we move on to the final section, I think, revisiting it i i loved it at the time and i think revisiting it i think despite having hang ups with lots of it i think i love it even more because <laughs> it feels like something that's just never ever going to be repeated so it feels like this special little ship in a bottle to me what are you, what are your sort of feelings towards it dennis
3: yeah um i i agree in my in my 13-year-old naivety i was expecting something similar um in the the late spring of 1998 and it, it didn't happen so that yeah. kind of you know made me kind of cherish it even more realizing that it had literally been a one-off um and i'm just so glad that i that i had it to watch um like so much for four or five years and then like you say coming back to it after 20 years and still still just Holding it so dear um and like you say most of it's still still holding up um even in the the modern climate
2: yeah there there are bits that you could basically say take this entire format and just do it again today, couldn't you 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 could update all you do is you could update Dear football to like i say dearfootball.gmail.com, football at gmail dot com uh, the mm-hmm. beautiful frame, you just have half an hour and you run it. The ball is round, you're you almost coming at it from a different angle at this time. You, you could still do exactly this, couldn't you? Uh, I mean, I,
1: I think you could. I'm not sure totally agree with you. I, I think you could and you couldn't. I, th- I think, yeah, I mean, uh, the sections, yes, kind of do substitute nicely and, and you can you can see that, you know, yeah, I'd love to see, you know, an updated beautiful frame with, with all those more recent things we've talked about. Um I just think there's too much football now. I think in 1994, there was exactly the right amount of football and of culture about football that you could do something like this and not feel like you had missed out loads of stuff. Obviously, it does miss out lots of stuff, but it it doesn't feel as a night like it's only touched on a very tiny corner of where football was at at that point. I think in the 25 year I think the amount of football and football coverage in the 25 years since then is so much greater than in the 25 years before it um, that I think it would just be unwieldy. Now, I would if if I was asked to, to do a goal TV in the year 2019, I would be like, well, where the hell do I start? You know, a beautiful frame. I would just be to, well, yeah, okay. <laughs> I would, I, to be honest, do you know what I do? I would make the whole night be stuff like that. I wouldn't bother. To do documentaries about football, I would do documentaries about things that were. Oh wait, that's what we're already doing with our podcast. Yeah, <laughs> why did you think that's that's our subject? Matter? But that's the point. I think you could do a whole evening of the beautiful frame, and just do a whole evening that was about here is looking at. Um, you know, and in some cases, show a full episode of something. Show that likely lads episode. Show some other half hour things, and also do some compilations that just show you the bits of it that you need to see, and and finish it off with a film. And by a film, I I mean Mike Bassett, the manager. <laughs> um, you know, just yeah. Um, go get 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 the Billy the Fish cartoon in there as well. We
2: will come uh... to Mike Bassett. Don't <laughs> worry, we will come to Mike Bassett. Um, so yeah, so that's that's Goal TV from start to finish. Really, a a, a great little piece of. Football on TV history, really, and something that it would be safe to say, uh, you know, is so far up all three of our streets, it's moved in next door, and we're having a barbecue next week. Um, <laughs> Seb, somehow I manage, somehow I manage, yeah. Me and Dennis have no idea how you have been doing with Nottingham Forest, so me and Dennis can just sit back and this is this is. <laughs> This is uh, as much of a mystery to, to us as it is to you, dear listener.
1: Yeah, so I've got, I've got to figure out how to sort of present this in terms of do I just go through the whole thing, all of my notes chronologically or, or kind of group them by talk about transfers, talk about matches, that kind of thing. What I will say is that where I've got... I've maybe not got as far as you might have expected in terms of matches. I actually did all of this um, in kind of mostly one session over the course of a few days rather than doing it gradually over the month. Um, where I have got up to is uh, I think we are in mid-September. I've played eight league matches... Um, because I you know, I, I kind of didn't want to go too far and I thought because I've spent so much time dealing with transfers and looking at the squad and sorting out the squad um, you know, whoever takes over after me probably won't get as much opportunity to do that so we'll have to play more matches um, but mid-September is where we've got up to uh, so just as a quick reminder for those who, who don't remember from the first episode we're managing Nottingham Forest in the 97-98 season uh, what I identified in the squad that we talked about last time was that I I really thought we needed a central midfielder um, because I think the the options at the start of the season were were Jeff Thomas um, and I can't even remember who else I had play. Oh, so, uh, Jeff Thomas and Scott Gemmell were my two central midfielders. So um, that that really needed um, bolstering. Uh, I also wanted to look for another winger, um, a striker, um, a right back, and potentially a centre back as well. Um, so I put in bids for another champion man ninety-seven, ninety-eight player who I'm a fan of, who I've had great success with in the past uh, Freddie Leon, a Colombian striker um, I put in a bid for a Portuguese winger called Luis Miguel Cavaco uh, Clarence Acuna, a Chilean defender, uh, a Polish uh, centre-back slash central midfielder called Darius Adamchuk. Uh, and Michael Thomas, who I don't need to introduce to anybody. Um, <laughs> elsewhere, while of this, while all of this was going on, some big deals started to go through. I thought it'd be interesting to tell you about some of the deals that went through elsewhere in the world that I saw come up as news stories. Um, Kieran Dyer has gone to Spurs for four million. Uh, Darren Edy has gone to Chelsea for five and three quarter million, and Nigel Quasi has gone to Arsenal for five million pounds.
2: Bloody <laughs> hell! Um, well, that's Arsenal getting relegated. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, yeah. yeah.
1: Um, we discussed um uh the possibility of selling Steve Stone if offers came in around the six million mark uh judging um based on the fact that, that I had a few positions that I wanted to strengthen in um Blackburn offered only five and three quarter million uh but I accepted it and he went so uh Steve Stone is at Blackburn and we got nearly six million quid to add to the pot so I think at this point we had a transfer budget of around twelve million in total. Um, Michael Thomas rejected the move so we didn't get him and Adam Chuk uh, accepted but didn't get the work permit um, but we did sign Acuna and Cavaco as the first signing so we got a, a decent um, Chilean right back and a, and a Portuguese winger who looked very exciting um, then Andre Salenzi got injured in training
2: that's probably a plus
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> but even so it, it did weaken the options up front so uh, started to kind of look and, and think about that Um uh, I, In order to replace uh, Steve Stone, I thought we'd look at another winger. So I looked at a player called Roberto Capalacci and put in a bid for him. Also put in a cheeky offer because I realised that he was in the same division and so might accept a move uh, for George Kinclazzi. Uh, and amazingly, the bid was accepted by City and he agreed to talk. Um, then, uh, So that, that negotiation was going on at the same time as the negotiation to get Freddie Leon to join. Um, Leon wanted 27k a week, which completely blew away the wage structure. Uh, I actually offered uh, 32k because Bronby were in for him uh, as well, and he went to Bronby. Um, but we probably couldn't afford to pay him 32k a week, so that's probably for the best. Offered King Cladzi 26k a week, and he still said, still said no, even though it was yeah. more than he was asking for. So we didn't get <laughs> King Cladzi, which I was really disappointed about. So by this point, we hadn't had a big marquee signing. We'd signed kind of a couple of squad players, um, but the season was starting without me kind of making the big splash to replace Steve Stone that I was hoping for uh, first game of the season uh, played a standard 4-4-2 against, uh, away at Norwich um, with uh, Van Hooydonk and Steve Gwinen up front uh, Steve Chettle as captain uh, that midfield that I mentioned of, uh, of Gemmel and Thomas and I gave Acuna and Cavaco their debuts uh, we drew one all Away at Norwich, Guinean scored uh, after 53 minutes, but then then Norwich equalised. Uh, then we got a few kind of bits of disappointing news. Capalacci chose not to join. That was when we got the Cladsey rejection. Bobby Gould got sat by Wales, uh, and Sol Campbell went to Juventus for eight and a half million. <laughs> um, then second game of the season uh, was away at QPR. Uh, same lineup as the first game. Uh, lost 2-1. 2 one, two 0 down after 77 minutes and then Pierre van Hoydonk scored on 80 but it wasn't enough. Uh, so two games down and we had one point and things things weren't looking great. Um, bought a player from crew called Steve McCauley um, who is a, he is that odd uh, fish of a center back slash center forward. Um, but he had 20 <laughs> for tackling and 20 for heading. And 19 for set pieces so he doesn't look great as a striker but he seemed a decent option at centre back um so we got him in i'm still trying to find a central midfielder bid for a Chilean player uh third game was away to west brom and i decided to mix up the formation so as we talked about i'd gone with a kind of traditional 4-4-2 um but because because of the age of the game i decided to go with a 4-2-3-1 something a bit more modern um and uh, brought in Chris Bart Williams for Steve Gwyn and gave McCauley his debut. Um, we were 1-0 up. Cavaco scored his first goal for the club after half an hour. Then Chris Bart Williams had a goal disallowed while we were 1-0 up, and then we lost 2-1. Oh. <laughs> um, Gee,
3: Nottingham Forest fan TV must be great. Um, for... <laughs>
1: yeah, So so three games in and one point. So this really was not going very well at all. Uh, so for the next so I did two things for the next game. Uh the first thing was I abandoned the 4-2-3-1 immediately and went back to 4-4-2 but switched to a passing style. Uh, Chris Bart Williams uh, back in the team on the right wing, Salenzi and Van Hoy up front. Um and I also switched the fullbacks. Um so I brought I brought I, I put back the already existing fullbacks, rather than new players that I brought in, uh, we beat Crew two-one at home. Salenzi and Van Huydonk with the goals. Van Hooydonk's was a penalty, so we got our first win on the board. Uh, the other thing I did um, after failing to spend the Steve Stone money on a midfielder that I wanted uh, and struggling for goals, uh, I put in a 4.8 million bid for Marcus Stewart because he had six goals in five um, at this point in the season uh, at uh, Huddersfield. He was. Mm. Um, so he seemed to be having a good season in the same decision. So I thought let's let's take a punt and, and go for him. Game five was away at Oxford. Same lineup as crew. Um, disappointingly, Cavaco, who'd had a good start to his career with us, got stretched off after 25 minutes. Uh, but we won four 0 away at Oxford. So uh, up, up to seven points after five games. Uh, once again, we failed to get a central midfielder that I was going after. A guy called Sierra, who had been after for a while, chose to go to Independiente. Uh, so then I put in a 100k bid for a Peruvian called Martin Rodriguez uh, in the meantime we were at home to Sheffield United uh, had to bring in Ian wone on the wing for Cavaco uh, and we won that one 2-0 so we were up to 7th after 6 games uh, Game 7 was away uh, to Stockport um, and I had to make some changes uh, Pascolo, uh, the keeper, uh, had to drop out because it was way on international duty for 2 games here so Mark Crossley had to come in uh, and despite going behind to Stockport early on uh, we won that 1-2-1 one, one. Uh, and then immediately after that Marcus Stewart agreed to join for 4.8 million so that's that's our big splash of a signing is Marcus Stewart and Rodriguez also came in for 100k so we finally got that central midfielder so after all of that, game 8 you can see why after all of this I <laughs> only played 8 matches uh, home to Port Vale uh, Rodriguez came straight into the team uh, for Scott Gemmell and Marcus Stewart in for Salenzi uh, and a goal and an assist for Marcus Stewart on his debut in a 4 0 win at home to Port Vale. Uh, so, in mid September, we are fifth in Division One, six points behind the leaders, Middlesbrough.
2: Good start, then, to be fair. Good start. Well,
1: after the first couple of games, I was thinking, God, am I, am I going to have got sacked before <laughs> um, before any of you get to take over? Uh, but turned it around with the change information. And I, and I think bringing in Marcus Stewart is, is going to have been a, a shrewd move. But you've only got one space left in the squad now as well. So if you want to buy anybody else, you're going to have to start selling players.
3: When you said that you couldn't get Sierra, I thought you might go for Mondeo instead. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um Dennis, are you
3: taking the reins next? Uh Yeah, I'm happy to do that Um and bring it all tumbling down.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, why does it feel like the next time I speak to you, we might be managing, I don't know, perhaps... Brighton Hove Albion. <laughs> yeah. Walking. W- oh yeah, cuz Bright- If memory serves I, th- I think we were 97th that season. Uh, uh, 91st, sorry. Yeah, at just,
3: just um, drew with Hereford in the last day of 96 97, wasn't it? To relegate Hereford. Yeah. Mm, mm, yeah. Yeah, yeah so.
2: sorry. It, it's just all got suddenly a bit painful in here. <laughs> um, <laughs> That was beyond the touchline episode two on gold TV uh, we will have more fun stuff for you next month. We are excitingly we are yet to decide on a topic yet for next month we have a we have a list to work through so yeah, we don't know what we're talking about next month and that's kind of exciting. Uh, so yeah brilliant thanks a lot for listening for all this time Uh, I hope you enjoyed our our look back at Gold TV which really was a little special bank holiday night to be fair Uh, so we'll see you all next month thanks for listening bye goodbye
3: bye
2: experience three weeks of unparalleled tournament access as the world's top players in tennis face off against each other. Will the veteran champions continue their dominance
0: or will a fresh face emerge to challenge their legacy on the clay courts? Daily live coverage of this epic showdown begins Monday, May 20th. Don't miss a matchup. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim?